Welcome to the VU Church Podcast. Today, we conclude our collection of talks, Happy, Healthy, Holy. Over the last six weeks, we've taken a deep dive into the soul. What is our soul? How can we maintain a healthy soul? And how does our soul affect our faith are some of the questions we've gotten to unpack. In this final installment of our collection, we ask leaders in our community to share their one soul lesson. To discover collection resources and rewatch previous week's sermons, visit vuchurch.com slash happy. Now let's lean into the message together. How are we feeling 10 a.m. service? Well, we're believing that between all the different speakers that you're going to be impacted today in a special way. But my name is Jamila. I am one of the pastors here at VU Church. I help oversee our I Love My City department and also VU Girl. And I want to talk to you today about the sole lesson that changed my life is the art of surrender. I'm very stubborn, stubborn. I'm set in my ways. Uh, when people try to tell me things, I kind of ignore it sometimes because I think I know what's best for me. I know what I want and how I want it, especially when it comes to trying out new food. I will be the first person to deny the offer. I'm very particular with my food. Anyone else out there feel stubborn at times? You feel that your way is better than the way or the thing that was suggested to you? So many hands are going up. See, my stubbornness comes from me wanting to control everything, that I'm constantly planning and preventing things. See, the opposite of control is surrender. Surrendering means letting go, trusting in something higher than yourself, accepting life challenges and uncertainties. See, my control comes because I'm afraid of what may happen if I don't. See, control is rooted in fear. Fear about what ifs, what if I fail? What if this happens? What if what they say is true about me? Control is rooted in fear. So why is it so much easier for us to fear? Or why is it so much easier for us to have control? It's because surrender is an art. It's something that you have to master. It's a skill that comes from practice. And when I think about surrender and what it looks like and a person that I feel like mastered this, I think about Mount, the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane and the story of Jesus. And it's in Luke 22, verses 39 through 43. And it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, kneeled down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And I love verse 43, it says, and an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. See, here we find Jesus right after the Last Supper, right before he was going to pay the ultimate penalty for our sins. And when you think about it, Jesus had full authority to change the situation around. This moment wasn't a surprise for him. He prepared for this for 33 years. Yet, his response was different. He got on his knees and he prayed to God the Father, not my will, but your will be done. 
See, when I think about this, I'm like, I don't know if I would have responded that way. I think I would have been like, Father, I know you are willing, but I'll go through this, but I don't want to feel any pain. Or Father, I know that you are willing. I know that you have a plan, but I think I have a better plan. I think I know what is best for me. But see, Jesus, he still decided to surrender, although he had full control. And because of his surrender, it guaranteed our salvation in heaven. See, God's way is always better than the way that we think is better for us. And an area in my life that I had to learn to surrender, that I had to learn to let go, was my relationships, specifically my love life. I've been through so many different seasons, the waiting season, the heartbreak season, the disappointing season. And I had a revelation one day that, Jamila, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to pick them right. And it was time for you to surrender. It was time for you to surrender your idea of what you thought a relationship consists of. And that's when I had another revelation that there's a direct connection between our surrender and who we believe God to be. See, what does our surrender say about God's identity? And the better question is, what does our surrender say about God's identity in us? Do you believe that he is Alpha and Omega? Do you believe that he's the author of your life? Do you believe that he's a redeemer that can save you in any situation that you're in? Let's go. Do you believe that he is Jaira, our provider that can provide all of your needs? Do you believe that he is Jehovah Rapha that can heal you despite what the doctors might have said? Who do you believe God to be? And I had to ask myself, do I believe God to be the ultimate matchmaker in my life? And can I tell you, the moment I decided to surrender my love life to God, that he brought me someone that I didn't even realize I needed, someone that points me to Jesus, someone that loves me that I I can ever even imagine. But it all took was me to surrender. See, unlike us, God doesn't need to consult our past. He doesn't need to consult our resume. He doesn't even need to consult our present to know what comes next in our life. I love 1 Corinthians 2.9, and it says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. See, the things that God has for you, no one has seen it yet. No one has heard about it. No one has even thought about it because it is for you. That when he was knitting you in your mother's womb, that he has already planned out your entire life. That he knows every single thing about you. He knows every single strand that is in your head. He has a special plan for your life. That all we have to do is surrender. So how do we surrender our soul? I think we have to ask ourselves, what does surrender look like? And I think it looks a lot like Jesus and how he surrendered in the garden. And it's not negotiating with God. It's not, Lord, if you give me this part, let me keep this. No, it's, for, it's freely releasing everything. It's entirely, it is sudden, right at the moment that we're saying, Lord, I surrender it all to you. To fully surrender our soul, we have to first surrender our heart. Lord, I surrender my desires to you. 
Surrendering our mind, Lord, take every thought captive and align it to your word. Surrendering our body, Lord, this is where the Holy Spirit dwells. I want you to have my body, Lord. I honor you with my body, God. Surrendering our relationships, Lord, I want you to be the center in my relationships. Lord, I want you to be the center in my family. Falling on our knees and praying out to God, saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I want it your way, God. See, surrendering is an art. It might be comfortable in the beginning, but I guarantee you that as we surrender daily, it's a daily thing, that the art of surrender will get comfortable over time. Do you believe that today? Come on. on. Love you all. Wow. Wow. Somebody say surrender, 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 surrender. What a powerful word. Hi, my name is Neil, and I am a, I serve right here at SOMI at the 10 a.m. on Growth Track team. Come on, let's hear it for Growth Track. My family and I are blessed and delighted to call VU home. The sole lesson that changed my life is renovation requires destruction. You see, just about 10 years ago, I found myself living my dream in ministry as a full-time pastor alongside of my wife, who in literally four days will be married for 32 years. I was driving down the road after heading to the beach that day because we had a busy weekend of ministry. It was a day off. And I get a phone call from a physician friend of mine who tells me that the biopsy results of my wife's breast biopsy had come back positive for breast cancer. This was the second time in two years It felt like my whole world just crashed in inside of me and on top of me, literally because my sister was currently undergoing chemo for pancreatic cancer. So here it is, the two closest people in my life, I felt like at the time, were both battling for their life. And I can tell you the thoughts in my life was nothing but defeat in the end. Because of that, I literally began to think that my entire life was just going to spiral downward. And because of that thinking, that's exactly what began to happen. I began to think the worst. Fast forward 10 months later, my sister did pass away. My wife continually battled for her health, but to the glory and honor of God, she won the battle. But I can tell you, because of those thoughts that had crowded my mind, I felt like I couldn't go on in ministry. I laid down everything. I shut down the church that I'd worked my entire life to build, to live that dream, because I felt like at that point, my dream was dead. Have you ever had your dream die? Proverbs 23 and 7 says, whereas a man thinks in his heart, so is he. See, what I learned during that time is my life will follow in the direction of my most dominant thoughts. Romans 12, 2 puts it this way. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing. You see, what I found out is that life is a lot like the game of football. See, today is Super Bowl Sunday. Any football fans in the house? Millions of people today will be watching the Super Bowl. Some will be actually watching, like my son, for the love of the game. And some will simply just be watching for the commercials. 
See, our life is so much like football because we're all trying to make it into the end zone and win. We want the win. And winning can look different depending upon what season of life we're in. It could mean for you as a student, academic success. It could mean you getting into the college of your choice. It could mean you as a stay-at-home mom or parent raising a good family. For you as career or business people, it could mean that you're succeeding and your business is expanding. It can look different for all of us in different areas of our life. But not only do, is life like football in terms of the win, sometimes in football you take a hit and you are sidelined. Have you ever been sidelined by fear or depression or anxiety in your life? Have you ever been sidelined by comparison traps in your life? Thinking that you don't measure up like everybody else does. I know that I have. And see, not only do you take a win sometimes, sometimes you're sidelined, but sometimes you actually take a loss. Have you ever felt the loss of losing something that you thought you would have forever? You walked in and you married the high school sweetheart only to find out 10 years, 10 years later to be served with the divorce papers. Or you started the business and the business was thriving and during the pandemic, all of a sudden, everything shuts down and you lose something you worked for your entire life. That's real. That's real loss. And sometimes we actually lose loved ones. We get the terminal diagnosis and we lose something that we love so much. But see, here's the thing that I love so much. You know, my daughter is a huge Dallas Cowboys football fan. And how many know they, give them, give them a hand. How many know that they've grown accustomed to losing? But I prophesy that their winning season is coming. <laughs> See, I love football so much. And I think the thing I love most about football is that in football, you can do something. A coach could do something during the middle of a game. He can challenge a call after the players run. Because if he doesn't agree with the call, he'll throw. He'll throw the red flag. He indicates to the referee, I don't agree with that call. I need you to take a second look. And so the referee will go to the sideline. He'll go into the little booth, and he will begin to watch a replay of that game, instant replay. And he'll come back out to the field with the rendering of, of the play of what he just saw. He'll say one of two things. The call on the field stands. Or he'll say, after further review, the call is reversed. Somebody say, after further review. Yeah. After further review. See, sometimes in your life, you're going to have to challenge the call for the destruction of the current mindset that you have. You're thinking things because the enemy has fed you lies. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said that I've come that you might have life in abundance until the full, until it overflows. See, God wants you to have an overflowing life. And you must challenge the call in your life. Matthew 4, Jesus had to challenge the call. Jesus challenged the call. The Bible says that Jesus was led into this wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, the tempter came to him and said, if you be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And Jesus answered and said unto him, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. See, you have to challenge the call.
call in your life because destruction is not accepting every negative thought that the enemy comes to your head. Renovation looks like you replacing those negative thoughts with the truth of Scripture. And I'm telling you, I come to tell you today, my assignment from the Lord is simply to tell you that you've undergone the concussion protocol and you've been cleared to get back in the game. Get back in the game. Tell your neighbor, get back in the game. Get back in the game. Come on. Get back in the game. Let's go, Neil. Hallelujah. See where you know, where your mind goes, your life will follow. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Know that God has an awesome plan for your life. And the way it will start is you prioritize in the secret place. Get back into a place of prayer. Get back into the place of the word. In Jesus' name, be blessed today. Am I supposed to go after that, Adrian? You go. You go. Hey, my name's Omar, and I serve as a service coach here at the 10 a.m. Somi service. And the sole lesson that changed my life is that God is preparing me for what he has prepared for me. It's an honor to speak to you this morning. Really, it's the honor of my life to be a part of Vu Church, to serve under the incredible leaders of Pastor Rich and Don Cherie. Could you just give them a hand right now if you love your pastors? We've been serving here for five years, my wife and I. We have three daughters. And, you know, when we first started coming to VU, we just kept saying, man, this is a place where we could raise a family. This is a place where we could raise our girls. This is the community we want for them. And I remember at the time, we just had the one daughter. And you know that moment when you have your baby, you're at the hospital, it's a beautiful time. It's a place of safety. And then these nice nurses, they turn to you and say, okay, guys, time to go home, time to get out of here. I turned to them and I was like, whoa, whoa, what? Which one of you is coming with us? Can we request a late checkout, please? They're like, sir, this is not a hotel. You gotta go. And I remember such dread and fear filling my life. I had the pit of your stomach type of anxiety. You know what I'm talking about? Now, as a father of three, I look back at that little scared boy and I laugh. Because one of my favorite things is to take my girls out for a daddy, daughter, daughter, daughter date. <laughs> we have a song, it's a whole thing. But I'll get home from work from a really hard, tough, challenging day and I'll look in the eyes of my beautiful, capable wife. There's a little twitch in her eye. <laughs> and I know that nothing that I faced at work could compare to what she's gone through all day trying to raise and care for these beautiful little girls. So I turn to the girls and I say, girls, it's time for a daddy adventure. I call it an adventure because I have no idea what I'm gonna do. <laughs> or where we're gonna go. I just know that I need to get them out of the house, that mom needs some time with the Lord. <laughs> and so we go out and we have a great time. But how did that scared young man of a father of one get to here where I'm confident, excited, and ready to take all three of these little kids under the age of seven out in the car by myself? How did I get from there to here. Yeah. I, 
what I didn't realize is throughout the whole process, I was being prepared. Yeah. Avery was preparing me for Riley, and Riley was preparing me for Zoe. I was being prepared every step of the way, and I didn't even realize it. But now what scares me with fear and dread is not how did I get from here to there, but that question in reverse. How am I going to get from here to there? When I think of the future, when I think of what God's calling me to do, when I think about the plans and visions for my life, I get that same pit of the stomach, anxiety and worry. It kind of reminds me of the life of David. You see, we know him now as King David, but he wasn't always that way. You see, when the prophet came looking for a king, he said, hey, are these all your sons? He said that to Jesse. They said, oh, yeah, there's one more. He's out in the field with the sheep. You see, maybe Samuel expected to find this tall, strong, kingly man, but what he found was a boy in a field with the sheep. On the verge of David's greatest battle against Goliath, what did David think about in that moment? In 1 Samuel 17, David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Somebody say sheep. Sheep. When a lion and a bear came to carry them off from the flock, I went after it and struck it. You see, when David was about to face his greatest battle, he thought about his time as a shepherd. This is a job that nobody wanted, that it was overlooked, it was small, it was insignificant. People would forget about him out here in in the fields. But David knew something. He knew something that nobody else knew, that God was preparing him for what he had prepared for him. I don't know what you're at right now, what job position you're in, what your life looks like, but know this, that God is preparing you now for what he has prepared for you. You don't have to worry about tomorrow because God is calling you to be faithful with the sheep today. When I think of the future, when I think of how am I going to have capacity for all of that, God reminds me of this truth. You don't have the capacity for all of that. You see, in the Bible it says, his mercies are made new every morning. Not once a week, not once a month, not once a year. Every morning. Why? Because we need a new filling of his grace and mercy every day. You don't have to worry like, how am I going to handle this week? All you have to know is, God, I know that you've equipped me, you've prepared me to be ready to handle today. I have enough of your grace. I have enough of your mercy. I have enough of your spirit to handle this right now what you've put in my hands. So I want you to purpose in your heart right now. I don't know what's in your hands how insignificant it may look, how overlooked and small, know that God works all things. Somebody say all things. God works all things for good to those who love him. So you may be looking at your job. You may be looking at your position, your title, and thinking, this is small. This is insignificant. Everyone forgets about me sometimes. How am I going to get from here to there, when I remember that God is preparing me today for what he has prepared for me, all that anxiety and worry goes away. I'm going to leave you with this verse in Matthew 6, 34. It says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry 
about itself. Isn't that nice to hear? Hey, you don't have to worry because tomorrow has its own problems. Tomorrow, I don't have to worry. Tomorrow will worry about itself. God's got me today. Today, I stand on his faithfulness. Today, I stand on his word. Today, I stand on his grace, his mercy that was renewed this morning. I don't have to worry about the future. I know that God's got me. And let me tell you this, when we're faithful today, we'll see the faithfulness of God tomorrow. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Hey, Voo Church. My name is Melinda Aberman. And I serve on the host team here at SOMI with all those beautiful people back there. And the sole lesson that changed my life is be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Please turn to Mark 1:16 with me. Jesus called his first disciples as he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Jesus said, follow me. In Jesus' time, when disciples would follow a rabbi, they would leave everything behind so that they could live and learn from their teacher. And as they would go, people would say to them, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Meaning, may you follow so closely behind your rabbi that you get covered in the physical dust of his steps. This proximity would allow for a disciple to watch everything their rabbi did. Learn how they pray, how they impact people, everything they could to imitate him. So when I was 16 years old, my dad decided it was time for me to volunteer at the public hospital where he works for the summer. And I ended up in the postpartum floor where moms and babies go after delivery. And I saw my textbook from ninth grade health class come to life. I saw everything. Remember Pastor Rich's message, my body was telling me yes? Well, my body was telling me no. No, no, none of this. But the nurses didn't have time for that. I soon realized I had stepped into a space of great need. These women, many of them were from all circumstances, all ages, and these nurses were standing in the gap. So for three months, I would follow them in and out of the rooms and I would watch them clean and heal, comfort and encourage. I was watching them be the hands and feet of Jesus. So I was covered by the dust of my rabbis that summer, so much so that I became a nurse myself. But you know, Jesus revealed so much to me about what it means to be his follower that summer. He's called us to be disciples. He's called us to follow him closely. He's called us to serve him and draw others to him. But why be covered in dust? Well, because the relationship with Jesus is the best relationship you're ever gonna be in. And drawing others to him, what a blessing it would be. But how? Well, because your dust is discernible. His dust is discernible on you. Acts 4.13 says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Peter and John, had been covered by the dust of their rabbis, their rabbi Jesus, 
and it was recognizable to others. There was an obvious holiness about these men because they had died to themselves and decided to follow Jesus in obedience and discipline. And isn't that what it's gonna take to have happy, healthy, and holy souls? To follow him with obedience and discipline. And the condition of your soul directly impacts everyone around you, everyone watching you, your circle of influence. I know I'm being watched. I'm being watched by my three sons all the time. Sometimes even when I sleep (laughs) and all the parents in the room said amen. Amen. (laughs) But it's true, they're always watching me. Everything I do to nourish my soul and everything I do that doesn't. And you're being watched too. Have you heard that you might be the only Jesus people ever see? So the way that you live matters. And I don't know about you, but I wanna live a life worthy of following. But his dust is also an invitation. Matthew 28, 19 says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. It's good news. It's meant to be shared. We're meant to go out and build his kingdom. And for those of you that have received this invitation, John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. The closer I follow my rabbi, the more I realize that he chose me to follow him. And he chose you too. You're not just here because your mom, your dad, your wife invited you. You're here because of a prompting from the Holy Spirit brought on by the fact that he is pursuing you and he's asking you to follow him closely. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes to his trusted friend who was like a son, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and now I am convinced is in you also. Shout out to Lois and Eunice. They get one sentence in the Bible but I suppose they're worthy of mentioning because they fulfilled the assignment. They got covered in dust and tracked it all over the house until they got it on Timothy. And then Timothy got to work and Jesus got all the glory. So you know what, I just wanna follow suit. I wanna wanna get in my Bible and and I wanna read and, and pray every day because I wanna follow him closely and get covered with dust. And I need to bring my three boys to church every Sunday and I need to serve with those beautiful people because I need them to recognize that hands were given to us so that we could serve our savior. And I need, I need to do this journey with my crew because I need to do this walk with fierce women of faith. I wanna be covered in dust. Matthew 5, 16 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who's in heaven. You know, nothing makes me feel closer to God than talking to him in his creation, in nature, watching the sunrise and the sunset and all the beautiful colors that he's designed. Did you know that those colors are created by dust particles in the atmosphere? It's a phenomenon called scattering. 
but we don't give the glory to the dust. We say, look what the sun did. So I wanna encourage you all, get covered in dust and track it on everyone you can around you in the hopes that one day those people will walk right past you and get covered by the dust of their rabbi, amen? Come on, can you help me thank all of our incredible speakers? Wow, it was beautiful, and I'm really grateful for this opportunity to, to minister to each and every one of us today. I'm grateful for this house, grateful for this church, grateful for the leaders of this church, Pastor Rich and Pastor Don Cherie, to empower other voices here today, because really what it does is it gives us a picture of the church. I don't know what your narrative of the church is, but the church is a collection of voices. It is not about one voice. It is a collection of voices across 2,000 years that are heralding one name, and that's the name of Jesus. And today, Jesus is being professed by a collection of voices, and I just want to honor them. Come on, put your hands together. I'm grateful for you guys and inspired by you guys. My name is Adrian, and I am our location pastor here at our Somi location. And the sole lesson that changed my life is that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Have you ever uh, stepped into an environment or stepped into a space before, maybe stepped into a conversation with some people that you felt out of place? Or maybe you felt unwelcome or maybe you felt a little bit unworthy being there? Uh, that's happened to me about 100 times in my life. <laughs> I remember uh, when Michelle and I first started dating, a couple months into us dating, she tells me that she wants to audition to uh, dance for the Miami Heat, okay? I know, pray for your girl because she's a little ratchet, okay? Uh, <laughs> she auditioned for the Heat, and not only did she make it, she was on the team three years and became co-captain of the team, okay? So she's pretty gangster. She's pretty gangster. <laughs> My, my friends used to make fun of me because she was there during the years of LeBron, and they said that LeBron got her a ring before I got her a ring, but that's, a, that's another story. But I remember that when Michelle was on the team, um, I used to go to a lot of heat events. I would go to a lot of games, and I would go to different events. As, an, as I'm at these different events, I started to realize that I know nothing about basketball, <laughs> And, and I know nothing about the Miami Heat. Like, I'm a Miami native. I've lived here my entire life, and I know zero about the history of our team. I know zero about the significance of our team. So I would get into these conversations with these different guys, and I'd, I'd have to fake it till I made it. You know what I'm saying? This was before Christ, okay? So I, I was, you know, I, I would fake it till I make it. And I, I realized that I just felt a little bit awkward in that space. I felt a little bit like I didn't belong in that space. I felt a little bit unworthy to be in those conversations. You know, the truth is, I think that that's how church can feel for a lot of people. I think more than that, I think that's how following Jesus can feel like for a lot of people. It feels awkward. It feels like you don't belong. It feels like maybe you're not worthy to be in relationship. I, I can say that because I know that's how I felt. Every time I would step into a church, I, I felt like I didn't belong in that space. I felt uh, like that space and I didn't mesh very well. More than that, I, I felt like I was unable and, and really unworthy of pursuing a relationship with Jesus. I felt like I had too much sin, I guess I would say. 
Like my lifestyle didn't align with everyone else in the room. I felt like I, I had made too many mistakes in my past. I felt like maybe I was a little bit too sh- selfish, to be honest. Like maybe I, I, I enjoyed too much what it is that I was doing in the season and didn't want to give that up because I thought it was bringing me pleasure in the season. I felt like my rap sheet was a little bit too extensive. And, and I wouldn't say that I actually didn't believe that there was a God. I would just say that I think God wanted nothing to do with me. So it caused me to avoid him. It caused me to avoid stepping into a church because I didn't want to feel a certain kind of way. It caused me to avoid even approaching a relationship with him because I was afraid of of what that would result in. I was afraid of, of the guilt and the shame. I was afraid of how I would feel about myself. I silenced his voice in my life. I, I, I dismissed any notion whatsoever of his voice in my life until I had a radical encounter with him in 2014. In 2014, Michelle and I, we had been dating for about two years already, and uh, we had gotten to a really low moment in our relationship. A moment not just low for, for us as a couple, but a moment that was really low for us as individuals. You, you ever feel like you've been in a pit before? That's how I felt at that moment. Like I was in a pit and like Michelle was in a pit and like our relationship was in a pit and I didn't know what it was gonna turn into and I, I didn't really have any hope, any, any aspirations for the future, not for myself and let alone for our relationship. And in 2014, because we were in that pit, somebody that actually danced with her on the Miami Heat team texts her and says, hey, uh, I know you and Adrian are going through it, and every once in a while, when I'm feeling down, I go to this place on Tuesday nights, and it makes me feel a whole lot better. It's a church, but uh, it feels a little bit more like a club. It's called the Rendezvous. If you're new to Vu Church and you don't know, Rendezvous is where Vu Church comes from. And Michelle, on that night in 2014, on a Tuesday, went to the Rendezvous, and Pastor Rich was preaching a message, let go and let God. And on that night, Michelle, she let go and she let God and she gave her life to Jesus on that day. And she calls me, come on, we can celebrate that. And she called me that night and said, hey, I don't care where we're at. I don't care what's happening in our relationship. I need you to come with me next week on Tuesday. And I said, okay, yes, I'm gonna go. And I went on that Tuesday and I gotta be honest with you. I don't remember what was preached I don't remember what songs we sang, but I do remember very vividly the voice of God speaking to me and saying, Adrian, it's time for you to stop running away from me. Adrian, I am not mad at you, but I am madly in love with you. Adrian, I don't think little of you. Adrian, I think much of you. I want relationship with you. I wanna, I wanna bring you into something that I've prepared for you. So on that day, I, I let go. And I let God, and, and the, the words of Psalm 116, they came to life. Psalm 116, it says that the Lord is gracious and righteous, that the Lord is full of compassion. And then it says that the Lord protects the unweary. Unweary means to, to be unaware, to be like a, an unaware traveler. That's where I was. But then it says that when I was brought low, the Lord pulled me out. I was in that pit, and in the middle of that pit, God pulled me out of that pit. It says I was brought low, he pulled me out, and what does it say? It says that he saved me. That's what happened to me that night. He saved me. He redeemed me. He, he, he brought me into relationship with him. He purchased my soul back. And I started a relationship with him and everything has been different since then. However, despite all of that, despite that truth, 
despite how real God is for me in my life, I still struggle sometimes. I still struggle. Maybe you, you hear me right now and you're like, man, I, I still struggle with it too. I've been in a relationship with Jesus for years and I still, I don't know, doesn't always feel right. Maybe you're not in a relationship with Jesus today and you're like, yeah, I, I, I struggle with it. I, I, I have a hard time sometimes accepting that God loves me. I have a hard time sometimes understanding why God would love me. And then in those moments is when I turn to what it says in Romans. Romans 8, 38, it says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I remember those words and I remind myself, wait, I don't have to worry about whether God loves me or not because nothing can separate me from his love and nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing, nothing in all of creation can separate. There's no power on this earth that can separate you from the reality that God loves you. Not the, not the mistakes of your past, not the inconsistencies of your present, not the doubts or worries about your future. There's nothing that can separate you from his love. Why? Well, what does the Bible have to say about God's love? The Bible says that God's love has no bounds. It has no limitations. The Bible says that God's love never fails, that it is unending. In Corinthians, it says that God's love, it, it never fails, that it always perseveres. And it what? It keeps no record of wrong. God's love always endures. His love always endures, so I gotta, I gotta remind myself of that. And I gotta remind myself of the truth, and I came here to remind you of the truth. God loves you so much that he was willing to pay the ultimate price for you. He was willing to put it all on the line for you. The Bible says very clearly, the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for our sins. So what does that mean? It means that you and I, we are separated from God. God is holy. He is set apart. And you and I, there's a separation that exists. And in that separation, Jesus took upon all of my transgressions. He took upon all of my iniquities. He took upon all of my brokenness. Every area in your life that you feel there's an inconsistency, every area in your life that you feel like you don't measure up, every single area of you, your life that you feel a weakness or a separation from God, that's where he stepped in. He substituted all of your wrongs with his righteousness he traded places with you so that what so that you could be seen as justified to get to what point to get to the point to prove that he loves you but ultimately to get to the point to spend eternity with you to spend eternity with me to reinstitute the original design that you and I are to walk in the garden with him that you and I are to spend all of our days with him so we remind ourselves of that truth and maybe you're in the room today and you're like Man, I, I don't know, I don't feel, I don't feel that. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel like, like God loves me. I don't, I hear you, but I, I just don't feel that. I just, my assignment today was to tell you that I know what that feels like. I know, and I know that that can be a very lonely place. I know that that can be a very frustrating place. I know that that could bring about a lot of confusion but I need to remind you of the truth today and the truth is 
that he is for you and that he loves you and you are right at home and you do belong in relationship with him. You belong in relationship with him and, and your flesh and everything else around you, everything inside of you is gonna tell you that you don't. And things like guilt and shame will rise to the surface. But my Bible says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I could get that guilt, I could get that shame and I could throw it out with the trash because it doesn't belong in the presence of my Lord. So what am I saying? The sole lesson of my life is recognizing that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Why? Because my value, your value, is not defined by your past or your present. It's defined by a person, and his name is Jesus. So it's not about being worthy of his love in our life. It's about embracing his love for your life. Come on, do you believe that today? Come on, why don't we give God some praise today? Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present, and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we want to partner with you in the next steps of your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com online. We love you.